I'm Peter Malouk. Welcome to A Thousand Miles from Wall Street. I'm here with Amanda Birch, Creative Planning Wealth Manager, and Annie Rogers, Creative Planning Estate Planning Attorney. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And um, Amanda, I know that one of the things that you do with all of your clients is uh, when you're taking through the planning process is figuring out what estate planning documents make the most sense for them. And today we're going to talk about that and as well as, as well as, you know, if someone has a trust, how to take care of that trust and maintain it, make sure it does what you want it to do. But I wanted to start with the very basic of how do you determine if somebody needs a will or a trust or what's appropriate for them? So that's a great question. So it really depends on the client situation. So if we've got someone who has a very, uh, fairly basic situation, so let's say they're right out of college, not a lot of assets, um, maybe a will would be fine for them. Um, and, you know, the goal always is with the trust, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but that it avoids probate. There's still ways around that if somebody has a simple situation with a will and just making sure that everything has a beneficiary on it or joint title or however we decide, you know, that makes sense for that client. So in a simple situation, maybe a will would, mm. would be um, sufficient. Uh, for, I would say most of our clients, a revocable living trust makes a lot of sense because mm. it does the same thing. Both documents are still listing, here's what I want to have happen with my estate if I'm gone or if I become incapacitated, here's who I want to step in. Um, so, but with the trust, the benefit there is if they have more assets, so let's say multiple real estate pieces or, you know, whatever the case is, it's more complex, it avoids probate. So they name someone as a trustee, successor trustee to step in then, rather than the probate court. And so by doing that, we're avoiding a lot of the costs associated with probate. Um, and probate's also public. So if anything yeah. goes through that, um, you know most people would not want that to be. Right. You're going through the worst time of your life. You've lost somebody and now you've got the probate court system and it's taking six months or a couple of years. Mm -hmm. It's public. You're paying for that process and it's optional. I mean, everybody has the option to avoid it with some very basic planning. And I know that's when you bring Annie in. That's right. And Annie, you uh, help the clients, you know, understand the similarities between a will and a trust and the differences, Correct. but then also how to actually avoid probate when the trust is in place. Right. So, you know, you can create a trust, but you have to make sure the assets get into the trust. Mm -hmm. And so we spend a lot of time educating clients on how to do that because some of those things they have to do themselves. Right. Um, for instance, with real estate, if you have a trust, then we would do a new deed, retitling those properties into the trust name so that, you know, after you're deceased, the trustee can sell those properties or distribute those to your beneficiaries. Yeah. So like a simple, this is a great way to start. This is a simple example. If, if I own a house in California and I own a, an, a place in New York, I'm going to have probate in both states. Correct. But if I have a trust and I take those deeds and I change them from being owned by me to being owned by my trust, and then I die and the, and the court in New York and California says, hey, we want all of Peter's stuff to come to probate, my successor trustee or you know, my wife or, who, or whomever is able to say, hey, this stuff's owned by a trust. It's not going through probate. And it just skips the whole process in both Correct. states and moves, like Amanda said, privately, quickly, without court costs. And so that retitling is really critical. Right. If, you, if you go buy a McDonald's franchise and you set up a corporation and you don't put McDonald's in the corporation, it was a pointless corporation. Right. And the trust is, is the same way. Correct. So another big asset people own is retirement plan are, are retirement plans and life insurance. And right. so walk me through those because those are really involved ownership changes. It's more about beneficiary changes. Correct. So on life insurance, I just recommend you list the trust as primary. And I always give 
this in, you know, this little um, example to clients. At my at my at previous firm, we used to list spouse first and then trust if you're married. And then I had some clients where the husband passed away, the wife filled out all the paperwork, the insurance company mailed her the check, and then she died unexpectedly. Um, so then we had to do a full probate just of that large life insurance check. When if they had listed the trust as primary, the successor trustee could have cashed that check. So I've changed my thinking on that, and I'd always recommend that they just list the trust first because if your spouse survives you, they're the trustee of the trust, yeah, and then they, they can would, deposit they, that check. Right. Um, and they're probably the beneficiary, so they can right, take the money yeah. out. But if they're gone, the trust has a contingent, which Correct. is probably the kids or yeah. nieces and whoever. They always have these contingency provisions right. in the trust, so there's always somebody there who can handle the trust or who can receive the assets. So if you name your child and they pass away before you update your plan, it's going to go to grandkids yeah. or whomever you want to get those things. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that's a great point because that's really the a hidden benefit of trusts. Everyone talks about estate taxes and probate. But to Amanda's point, unless it's extremely simple, you should use a trust because the trust covers all the contingencies. Even if you avoid probate on a life insurance policy, if the spouse is gone, I mean, your trust will say it goes to the kids. And if the kids are gone, then it might go to their kids. And if they're not around, it might go to a charity. So you don't have to keep track of anything. You know, as long as the trust is doing what you want it to do and all the assets are pointed at it, you're going to avoid probate and get get what you want done. Right. And, you know, just a simple will, you know, if it goes to grandkids, they're going to get that money at 18. And a lot of times that's not a good option, especially if it's a lot of money. So in a trust, we can also add provisions where the trustee is managing those assets until they're launched and a little bit more responsible and, you know, might be able to make good decisions with those funds. And the money can be there for their needs, which, you know, the ascertainable standard we use is health, education, maintenance, and support. Mm -hmm. And the trustee is just making those determinations until they hit 25 or 30 or right. a third, a third, a third at different ages. You know, we can do all sorts of different things to, you know, kind of tailor those things to your family and your situation. So that's nice too. Yeah, I've been doing this estate planning for over 20 years. I date myself a little bit. And I would say the number of times I've seen a kid get money between 18 and 21 and have it all go wonderfully is zero. Yeah. And I just think yeah. it's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> horrible. It doesn't matter how great the kids are. You will, it's kind of like going out of your way to make them not be great um, when, when that sort of thing happens. So the extent you can control that and ease them into it's obviously a good thing like you said right now most people have an IRA or a 401k or a 403b and those are really unique and there's a lot of minefields around that right so what should people think about as they're retitling those assets so if you're married you always name your spouse first because they can roll those over and defer taking that money out until retirement age just like you can on your own but everybody else, there's different rules for that. So we have you name the trust and we put some special language in the trust that allows, you know, the beneficiaries who have to start taking that money out sooner to try to stretch taking the money out. Um, because what a lot of people don't realize is that, um, you know, they're like, I, I did a trust. I don't want my, you know, anybody to pay taxes. But if you haven't paid income tax on, you know, a retirement account, that's going to pass through to your beneficiaries, too. They're going to pay the income tax on it. And, you know, so we want to put some provisions in there that allow them to kind of stretch taking that money out as long as possible right. based on whatever the IRS regulations are at the time. Yeah, it's a little, a little bit of a weird, complex area. Yeah, the law is always it, it, there's a lot of factors that come into play. But, right. we, you know, we want to try to give the beneficiaries the, the best outcome we can. And 
Amanda, that gets back to tax laws change. Uh, they did last year, estate planning laws change. They have a couple years ago. And uh, charitable planning rules change, right. as, as did recently. And so estate planning, a lot of people think, oh, I did a will or a trust, and I'm, I'm done. Uh, when in reality, it's kind of a living, breathing thing, and it's an ongoing process. You have to stay on top of it. I know that's a big part of what you do. It is, absolutely. Front. And so there are, there are different provisions that we can include in the trust document to where, you know, we don't want to, we want to be proactive. So even the way that we, you know, add some of these different provisions, and if somebody is just right on the threshold, maybe right below where the estate exemption amount is, um, we don't want to just leave it there because what if that drops and the client hasn't had a chance to update their, um, right. their trust document. So there are different things that we can do, like donor advised funds, right. naming that as part beneficiary mm -hmm. if they're over that exemption amount. We do that a lot with clients, um, different things like that to where um, we can be more proactive. But yes, when these tax laws change and estate laws change, we reach out to clients and yeah. say, you know, let's review the document again and see if there is something that we need to update. And I think that's a normal review we do every year mm -hmm. with every client uh, on top of when they want to do it. But uh, like but to your point, once you have the trust in place, you know, from a wealth management perspective, you may point things to the trust and sometimes it may be in the client's best interest to not do that. Maybe point it to a charity or something mm -hmm. else. And so you, you look at that as a piece of an overall plan. And I think that's the key for people to understand that the charitable planning, the tax planning, the estate planning, mm -hmm. the financial planning, they really all go together in different ways. And one rule change in one category can impact the client's decision. And That's others. right. Absolutely. Well, you two are you're always fantastic. Appreciate you being with us again. Thank Thanks. you. This commentary is provided for general information purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Past performance of any market results is no assurance of future performance. The information contained herein has been obtained from sources deemed to be reliable but is not guaranteed.